Praise God, you guys. Uh, please take your Bibles. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're making a decent progress through this book. We're through half the chapters. Sent, entered in the, last, the second half of these chapters. And the Apostle Paul, I'm not going to review uh, the first three chapters or actually anything in the first few chapters because I did that last week just a little bit as we got into chapter 4. And we read in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, or the last days, some will fall away from the faith. And I basically refrained from having an entire Bible study, although we spent quite a bit of time on it anyway. It wasn't in my notes to go through falling away from the faith, uh, at least not the scriptures I use. I had maybe a couple things jotted down, but... Uh, uh, I, have a, I have a file at my house, which is probably, I think it's titled like something like Falling Away. And it is just chock full of just a ton, ton of scriptures because some people deny that you can fall away. They say, oh, it's impossible. If you're a Christian, you can't really fall away. And I, I've just, a ton of scriptures, you know, where Paul talks about falling from grace in, in Galatians chapter 1 or chapter 5, verse 4. Amen. Uh, in the text right here, it speaks of those who fall away from the faith. Amen. And there's a ton of warnings like that. I won't, and, I, and I gave you some really strong warnings last week. And the enemy wants you to believe that you can't fall away. Peter, remember Peter? And Peter knew they could fall away. He said, they all may deny you, but I'll never deny you. And if you get that kind of attitude, that's the first step, by the way, toward falling away. I did a message one time on showing the steps of Peter's apostasy, the, Peter's fall. And it began with his pride, you know. Everyone else, they, they, I'm, I'm willing to go to prison deathly through Jesus. You know who I am? You know, he didn't really say it like that. I want to make him prouder than he was, you know. But I'm ready to go to prison death with you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows, Peter, you can deny me three times. Amen. But praise God, he says, but when thou art converted or restored, strengthen your brethren. And Peter then realized, man, I need to realize the enemy is very real. And then he wrote 1 Peter 5, verse 8 through 10, about Satan goes about his roaring lion. And he was so confident that he wouldn't fall that uh, he fell asleep, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Son of God did not dare fall asleep. And if the Son of God needs to be watchful and pray, there's about like 10 times in the New Testament we're told to be watchful and pray, you know. How much more do we in a time of crisis need to make sure we're especially alert? We should always be alert. Amen. But a time of crisis, and then Peter had a great fall. He denied him three times. The apostle Paul said, let him who thinks he stands. So do you think you stand in Christ? Well, praise God, that's good. This is for you then. Let him who thinks, and for me, let him who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. The Lord isn't bluffing, okay? We can truly fall. And that's why we need to continue to grow in our faith. Amen. And sometimes I like to use the bicycle analogy. When you're riding a bike, if you just kind of just start to relax and just putt and then barely go and then stop, eventually you're going to fall. But if you're going forward, you know what I'm saying? It's easy to go forward. And praise God, here you are today. And more and more he's showing up. And Greg, praise God, better late than never, bro. No, I'm just teasing, man. I would have said that if he was late because he was doing sound back there. <laughs> but... uh. Praise God. 
because it's just exciting to know that you can go forward and that there's a path to victory. In the scriptures, God wants us to be victorious. Amen? We're his children. He loves us. I have children and now a bunch of grandchildren. And man, I want them all to succeed. And I want my brothers and sisters in Christ to succeed. That's why I've labored in this fellowship for, wow, <laughs> it'll be 35 years pretty soon. I love you guys. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why we warn the flock. We just want to see everybody persevere. Amen? And that's why I, I give warnings constantly and I encourage you in the promises because you don't inherit. Anita, well, I have to shout another person out. I'm not saying because you're a few minutes late, sister. <laughs> you have to hear the message and you'll get why I said that. But she came all the way for Arizona, so she could be a few hours late and we'd be happy she's here. Amen. Praise God. Good to see you, sister. Didn't know you were coming tonight. Praise God. Long drive, huh? I bet, man. <laughs> Great to see you. But it's interesting because we have all these resources. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. Amen. There's no reason we should fall. Now, if we get cocky, if we get arrogant, if we get self-focused, if we become narcissistic, uh, we'll be heading toward a pretty quick fall. So we look at verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to what? Deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. I have that memorized, I think it's in the King James, seducing spirits, seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits. One translation has seducing spirits. Another, deceiving, de uh, deceitful spirits, deceiving spirits. They, they're very seductive, you know. And there's all kinds of things that are demonically popular today that have been originated by demonic entities. And maybe I'll do a message eventually on that again, showing things you wouldn't even suspect where people admit being possessed and channeling things that have become incredibly popular and are actually teaching false doctrines, giving a, a, a false view of reality and opening people up to the demonic world. So we've got to be careful that we are not paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, we are kind of in the middle in this fellowship in regard to the spectrum of where people land in regard to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are what you call cessationists who believe that the gifts are gone. They're the, the miraculous gifts, you know. They've ceased to exist. And then you have the other extreme where it's like anything and everything goes and they don't test anything. And they're in huge danger. And both, we believe in this fellowship, it's been my conviction... I had the benefit of not hearing any Christian radio or any, reading any Christian books when I was a brand new Christian, just had my Bible. So when I read the scripture and I saw Jesus say during the tribulation period, when they take you up before civil leaders and so forth, don't premeditate what you're going to speak at that time because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. I realized, and then, so I just knew the scriptures. And I knew, I thought, wow. And I saw in the book of Revelation, the testament of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. And there's two witnesses witnessing, witnessing they prophesy for 1260 days. And I'm seeing in Acts chapter 2 and Joel chapter 2 that the sun will turn black, you know, and the moon will turn to blood, and there'll be pillars of smoke, and he'll pour out a spirit on all flesh, right? Your daughters, will, young, your young men, daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, so forth. Right in the tribulation period. But I also saw those scriptures that warned about the misuse of the gifts. 
And where Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 was warning about, you know, everybody speaking in tongues at once and how they'll think you're mad when they come in, which has happened at thousands of churches right now, and they don't correct it, even though the Scripture wasn't even written then until Paul wrote that and to correct that. And now we have the Scripture. There's no excuse, right? And just all these bizarre things. And the Scripture is warning that in Matthew 24, 24, and 25, for false Christ will rise and false prophets, showing great signs and wonders, deceiving if possible, even the elect. Behold, I've warned you in advance. I also saw, wow, there's going to be a false signs and wonders movement in the end days. It's going to deceive a lot of people. So I saw that, that. And then when I started to hear the different views as a new Christian, but I was devouring my Bible, I was the only Christian I knew. And I was so, Jesus, 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 man, I want to know you. I want to know your word. I don't do anything that breaks your heart. I want to know what, what, how to live my life and so forth. And I began witnessing to people. But then I started listening to Christian radio and reading Christian books, you know. I started seeing, wow, there's a lot of differences, you know, that people have on this view. Some are saying the gifts have ceased. They're not here for, right now. God doesn't do miracles right now, you know. He wouldn't speak to you in a dream, you know, or anything like that. He'd never, you know. And I was like, where does it say that in Scripture? Where's this one verse that say the gifts have ceased? I can show you a bunch of them that show you right up into the tribulation and through the tribulation period, God's still at work. On the other hand, I ran into people who, you know, uh, didn't have any discernment at all. And it's heartbreaking right now because the church is in such disarray because there's so many people seeking after signs and wonders right now. And they're seeking signs and wonders and experiences beyond seeking Jesus often. And, and rather than seeking the, the things at the table, we should be seeking the one that's at the table. Amen? Amen. And Jesus warned a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. We don't want him to put signs first, amen, at all. These, things shall, these signs shall follow those who believe. You know? Not we shall follow after signs. And there'll be a huge deception in the end of days. And that's why it's very, very important that we understand the spiritual deceptions that are going on right now as well. I mean... This is what's crazy. This is what's really crazy to me. It's not crazy. It's happening pretty much how we thought it would, but it's still, on one hand, you know, my wife will be like, you know, you've been talking about this for years. How come you're shocked? I still get shocked, though. You know, it's like, how could, you know, how many of you have been going through your Bibles, trying to get through your Bible, or at least a big chunk of it through this year, maybe, and you've gone through Exodus recently, and you're shaking your head like, God, I've seen all those miracles. How come they're complaining? But that's a picture of us. We've been born again. Our names are written in heaven, and we can still whine and stuff, but we could succumb to the same things they did. We have to be very, very careful. And a lot of times people get deceived by false signs and wonders. And the Lord tests us. In Deuteronomy 13, the Lord says that he allows false prophets to come among them. And if they tell you to go after another God, but they have a dream and it comes to pass, but then they tell you to go after another God, don't follow after them. Because they, just because they've had an experience doesn't mean they're from God. And the Lord says, I'm a, he's allowing it. You know what he's allowing? He says, I'm, I'm, I'm letting this happen because I'm testing you to see whether you, not, you love the Lord your God with all your heart. We are in a test. God will allow us to be tested. We have to watch out for the leaven of the Sadducees, as Jesus said. The Sadducees allowed political aspirations to cloud their view of Messiah and his coming. 
and they rejected him in his first coming. Right now, many Christians are becoming political, where they talk more about politics than they talk about Jesus and his kingdom and witnessing and getting excited about the Lord. Be careful. Be careful. You shouldn't go to church and be hearing a bunch of messages on politics. You should be in the Word of God, knowing what the Lord says about how to serve Him. I'm not saying we can't ever talk politics. I mean, guess what? God takes real strong standing. It's killing babies, amen? amen. Those things come up, and that's part of our, our, the life, the world that we live in, amen? So we have to interface with the world, but we don't champion. Unless, you know, you're a politician, you've been called to that, great. But guess what? I'm not going to give you the pulpit, and if I do, it'll be for a few minutes to talk about how you're saving babies, but not talk about politics all the time. Amen? Amen. And what happens is, right now, we have the leaven of the Sadducees. We have a lot of professing Christians getting incredibly political, and they're wanting... Well, we've got to be careful, because we're in the day and age of people wanting instantaneous gratification, right? Well, the Lord says His kingdom is coming. Amen? In Revelation 11, verse 15 through 17, when Jesus comes back, it says the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of Christ. And amen? amen? We're looking forward to that. But that's the second coming. It says, and he will begin to reign. That's when he begins his reign at the seventh trumpet right there. Amen? Well, some people are like, no. I've seen so many people, and this is a, this is a movement that has not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, millions and millions and millions of followers. I'm talking about the NAR movement, N-A-R, New Apostolic Reformation. It's huge. It's huge. Many consider it the fastest growing spiritual movement in the country. If it's not the fastest, it's one of the fastest. And they're emphasizing the kingdom now. It's called kingdom now theology or dominion theology. We take dominion over the seven mountains, right? You've heard the seven mountain mandate. These are huge leaders. The seven mountains are like government, Family, religion, media, education, arts, right? The economy, business, you know, uh, and so forth. And it's like education, all these things. We're going to take these things over for Jesus. By the way, that's giving Christians a really, really bad name. Do you realize that? There's all kinds of websites that are like mon- that are in the secular world monitoring these guys because they're looking at it as, you know, by the way, didn't we leave, didn't our forefathers leave England and stuff so you couldn't dictate one person's religion or one group's religion? Now, if they had a vote and everybody said, hey, we all want to become Christians, I'd say, praise the Lord, let's do it, you know? But to try to impose Christianity on others, and you have the Reconstructionists, which also believe in Dominion theology, although they're not really part of the NAR movement, they want to bring back the Old Testament law. Not just the moral law, but the judicial or civil law, where there, many of them are talking about will put to death those who are homosexuals and, and those in the witchcraft and so forth. I, I, I warn about those things all the time, but I'm not about putting to death. Jesus died for them. Jesus came to the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. So we, right now we preach the gospel. This is the day of grace. Not to try to set up God's kingdom for him, amen? That never ends well, right? I mean... Who is the one who sets up the, the, the kingdom? Come on. Come on. Jesus, amen? He, look at the nations of the world that gather together to fight against him, and he comes and sets up his kingdom. Amen? Watch out for counterfeit kingdoms. 
false, you know, post-millennialism, very popular theology right now. It's growing. Way more popular than it was is, no, the millennium doesn't come until, you know, Christ doesn't come until after we reign for a thousand years. Got it all backwards. Read Revelation 19 and 20. It's the opposite. Revelation 19 comes back. Revelation 20 sets up his kingdom. Amen? They get the cart before the horse. And it's because we want instant gratification, many of us. We want power now. It's about us. We're going to take the kingdom. We want the pleasures of the kingdom now. We want to rule right now. Well, it says we'll reign with Christ for thousands. Are you, you, you see what I'm saying? It's scary. And I know a lot of people are sick. I'm sick of the politics. I'm sick of the wickedness that's coming out of, for instance, I'm just being honest with you, the Biden administration, you know? Pro-baby killing, all those things. It's, it's wicked. And I speak against it, okay? More than most pastors because I've got to speak out what is. But guess what? I pray for that guy because I'm commanded to in 1 Timothy 2. I'm not trying to take over the world for Christ because I know that's a pipe dream. I know that's, I know that's a lie. The Nazis created what they thought would be a millennial kingdom, the thousand-year Reich. And all these conservative, professing conservative Christians are like, yeah, look what God's doing through, through Adolf. Isn't he great? Woo, what a deception. you got to be very careful when you start seeing big rallies and if all of a sudden it becomes, wow, looks like Christians are going to rule the world. And you're like, but I love Jesus. Oh, here's the leader. Let's be respectful. Oh, no, what are you doing, dude? You know how many people are saying, don't be saluting that guy. You know, he's killing a bunch of Jews. Now he's arresting Christians that don't want to put the swastika up instead of the cross. There's a huge deception coming, guys. And it's going to come with false signs and wonders because the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, I've, I mentioned it recently. We're going to do a whole series on this. They, they, they're, they're getting all kinds of messages that they claim are from God. New revelations. In fact, two evangelical leaders, the leader of Youth with a Mission, Cunningham, Okay, and another one, Bill Bright, who was another leader of a big ministry. These are two of the biggest names in the United States with youth ministry. Campus Crusade, Bill Bright. They both claim to have dreams at the same time, and they called each other. And God spoke to their hearts, they said. And they told each other the same dream. And the dream is that God has shown us, they're telling each other, God showed me seven spheres. I was like, that's what he showed me. He showed me we're supposed, to take, we're supposed to take him over, right? Yeah. Wow. So now guess what? The mission of the church, rather than winning all the lost, as many of the lost as you can bring to Christ, you not won't win them all, but as many as you can, right? And making that your mission until he comes and occupy until he comes. And, of course, being salt and light and impacting the world in the meantime, amen, with the light and love of Christ, but with no illusions that we're going to take over the planet. Bill Bright and Cunningham, one a charismatic Pentecost leader, the other just you know a more non-charismatic uh, evangelical. They basically shared that God has given them this new light, and now it's morphed into what's called the Seven Mountain Mandate. And people are saying it's a revelation from God. These, my brothers and sisters, are doctrines of demons. When you, when you tell the church that you've received new light and it takes the church on a different mission, and now, now the deal is now we're supposed to try to take over these things. And I shared with you recently, last Sunday, so I won't get much more into this, but I shared with you Sunday a couple books written by leading NAR apostles. They call themselves apostles. This is serious. Because they believe as apostles they should be able to rule the churches, including our church eventually. 
and society in the Seven Mountains. And I point out to you, one of them is written by Bill Johnson. That's where the last several years they consider the biggest revival that's been going on in the country up until a more recent one uh, is right there in Redding, Northern California at Bethel. And his book, along with Lance Wallnow, which is the top writer on the Seven Mountain Mandate, is called Invading Babylon. Now, if, we, if I saw a title called Invading Babylon, I think that might be a good title if it was written about bringing the gospel into Babylon, right? But it's not just about... I read a page from that book, the introductory page to chapter 2, which says how to take over the world. That's not what we're called to, Okay? And then I read from uh, another book by Johnny Enlow, who's considered one of the, it's called The Seven Mountain Prophecy, and he's one of the leaders, one of the leading apostles or prophets of this movement. And he says, Babylon sits on the seven hills. It says the seven mountains in Revelation. And we're going to take over Babylon from the whore of Babylon before Christ comes back. Now I want you to think. I try to get you to think about how serious this is. If you take over Babylon, so to speak, and you are running the world before Christ comes back, right? Who does Christ come back? Who gets destroyed at the end? The whore of Babylon. Amen? In fact, God puts it in the heart of the ten, nations, ten kings that give the power of the beast to destroy her with fire. This is what's scary, is the poor Babylon rides the beast, right? Because the whore, the beast is a political entity, he wants the whole world to worship him. But he's not going to do it on his own. He has a false prophet doing miracles for him. And remember what he looks like? He looks like a lamb. That's crazy because the lamb, over and over again, about 27, 28 times, in the book of Revelation refers to who? Jesus. But he, the false prophet, looks like a lamb. He looks like he represents Christ. And he tells people to worship the beast who sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. I'm slowing down because I mentioned some of these things to you recently, but a lot of people come to me afterwards like, man, I want to hear more on that, you know? It's like, I, I wish you wouldn't have went so fast on that section. Can you elaborate on those things? And somebody was really into the first part because I'm, I realize we get more and more new people in our fellowship. Sometimes I think, well, you guys heard this before. And I'm realizing, wait, there's a lot of new faces and they haven't heard a lot before, you know? Just you people that are like, oh, we've heard this before. A lot of people here haven't heard this before. Amen? And I thought, you know, I need to explain, explain this a little bit more in the context of doctrines of demons. Because this is serious stuff that you'd be aware of because hundreds of millions, potentially, of professing Christians could fall into this in the end. Now, this is the crazy thing. Is why does the beast, in the, in the ten, why does the beast destroy the harlot at the end? Right before he's destroyed. Because guess what? She's riding him. And I do believe that it's very likely a political thing. Okay? There's a commercial side of Babylon, which we've talked about before. Uh, but there's also, I've always warned you, spiritual Babylon. And many, most Protestants in the early days, especially many today, believe it refers to the Roman Catholic Church, that she's a whore of Babylon. And I'm not saying that the Catholic Church isn't part of it. I think all false religion will come together and unify and promote this Antichrist. But guess what? The Bible says he'll sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God and that exalt himself above everything that is called God or that is God 
So he's not going to want this woman riding his back. He uses, I'm telling you right now, did you ever realize that politicians often use Christianity for power? I remember uh, when uh, McCain was running against Hillary and the other folks, or, and, uh, all, and you know, there's, the whole vote was going on. And I remember it was after, like, I think Bush's second term or something like that. And I, all they trotted like 10 or 11 candidates, Democrat candidates out there, and they all spoke for a little bit about their faith in Christ. And I wanted to just puke. <laughs> Dry heave over and over again. Oh, Lord, God, right, exactly. Yep, Hillary, you just love Jesus, don't you? You know? Yeah. So, yeah, with the spirit cooking thing, yeah. So, it, really, really sad, you guys. So, there's a lot of spiritual deception, but at the end of days, there'll be a huge deception. And you have to be very, very careful that you don't go rah, rah, rah politically so much that you're also following a guy that has nothing to ultimately do with Jesus, but is leading you down a primrose path to hell. Amen. So the Bible warns about doctrines of demons and what these guys are getting right now. And I didn't mention this last time. I meant the, the, the dreams that Cunningham had and Bill Bright, these were two of the biggest names in Christendom among evangelicals in the United States with two of the biggest youth movements. Among the Baptists and so forth, it was probably Bill Bright's Campus Crusade. Among the Pentecostals and Charismatic, it was probably Cunningham. And they both have a vision, the same, a dream at the same time and call each other. Ooh, now this is the direction the church should go in. And they called it seven spheres and so forth. And then it, Lance Wall now said he changed it to seven mountains because it means the same thing. And we're supposed to take over these mountains. Bill Johnson says, God's in charge, but he's not in control. He says, we are the ones that are, are to take control. You know? And that's, that's, that's a Bill Johnson, you know? And that we have to take dominion of this planet. And man, don't get your eyes off of what you're called to do. You're called to love the Lord your God with the whole heart, soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbors, yourself. Amen. You're called to fulfill the Great Commission. Amen. And that means you're supposed to preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Make disciples of all the nations. And at nations, there's ethnos. Every ethnic group. Witness to every single ethnic group trying to bring people to Jesus. And, and God's, God's kingdom is, is, there are people coming to Christ. Amen. So I'm only going to spend that much time on, you know, that but, because I want to move on. But we're talking about doctrines of demons. And I'm thinking, what are some of the doctrines of demons that are most impact? Because that's what it talks about. But the Holy Spirit or Spirit speaks expressly, or King James, I think, explicitly, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And what spirits are seducing the church the most today? Well, in a religious or spiritual sense, I believe it is the NAR movement, the New Apostolic Reformation. It's called Kingdom Now. Like right now, we're going to take the kingdom, you know, and, uh, or bring the kingdom to earth. Kingdom Dominion Theology, Dominion Theology, Reconstructionism, which is more the Calvinistic side of it. So you have a whole, which is the ones that want to implement the law of Moses, many of them. NAR people, they don't speak like that. Like we want to implement the NAR law of Moses so much, but they just want to rule and, and so forth. So this is really crazy. Are you in your Bibles? You know what the Bible says about the end of days, Amen. you know? So I'm just encouraging you to be awake to what's going on. Now, when we talk, we read in the Bible about these, you know, doctors of demons. What are demons? What are demons? Uh, you know, and there's actually some debate about that, but some believe that they are 
the, the spirits of the Nephilim, which were you know, believed to be by many to be the offspring of the fallen angels who had relations with the daughters of men, the sons of, men, sons of God and the daughters of men, and the Nephilim who died, that the, the demons are their, their spirits that survived after they were well, the spirits that left their bodies when they were killed in the flood. There's not one verse of scripture that says that. Okay? Michael Heiser, who actually has made some good contributions, but also some I, very disagreeable in my my persuasion when I study scripture uh, suggestions as well. Uh, he, he's very he's written a lot on demonology. He's probably the most well known in the last five years for writing on demonology, and he's it's a mixed bag. But he he has that viewpoint. But I don't see that in scripture. What I do see is that Satan has a bunch of fallen angels, okay, that followed him in rebellion. That's what I do see in scripture, and we need to understand just reality itself. So when we look at demons and what they are. It's important because you're in, a, you're in a spiritual war. You realize that, right? And a lot of times things are happening in your life you don't even know. And not everything is because of some demon, but guess what? Sometimes things are from demonic entities and you're not praying and you're not putting your armor on and you're getting waylaid, right? You need to realize there is a spiritual war, right? Like when you're struggling with bitterness, you think that Satan's like, oh, wow, he's struggling with bitterness all by himself. I don't need to do anything. Well, sometimes that's probably true. But at times he's like throwing gas on the fire, suggesting things, bringing bad memories back about a situation. You know, 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says we're not ignorant of his devices. In the context there is unforgiveness. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, talks about how, you know, uh, talks about Satan. And he mentions him in chapter 2, verse 2, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. He's a real enemy. And it says not to let the sun go down your anger, right? Not give a foothold to the devil. So the devil could suggest things. And I'm guaranteeing you, there's times in your life where you're getting upset about something and the enemy's egging you on, putting thoughts in your head. You cast down evil thoughts and say, Lord, you had mercy on me. Help me have mercy on others. Because guess what? Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Amen. You refuse to forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. That's exactly what Jesus lets you know. So you need to be serious about watching out for his wiles. Amen. So you have to understand too that there are basically two types of beings in the universe. Two types of beings. There is God, the uncreated creator of all things. Amen. Amen. The Alpha, the Omega, the, the first, and last, beginning, the ending. From everlasting to everlasting. Uncreated. There's God and then there's everything else. That's what the universe is made up of. You agree? It is. It is. That's, that's the reality. And God made everything ex nihilo. Amen? And if you're taking notes, it's like, how do I write ex nihilo? E-X and then N-I-H-I-L-O. N-I-H-I-L-O. Ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. He created everything out of nothing. It's like, yeah, but Joe, you come down on the atheists because they said everything just came out of nothing. Well, in a way, they're right, but they're also wrong. <laughs> if it's just nothing, that's impossible. Amen? Because the science, the law of science, you know, many laws of science, they break them all. You know, biogenesis, life coming from life, they say, oh no, life could have come from dead matter because they don't have life to begin with, right? We have life, we have God, amen. But they also contradict the law of cause and effect, cause and effect. And nothing won't create anything, but guess what? God isn't nothing, amen. He can create everything out of nothing, but God is full of energy, amen. He created the entire universe, amen. amen. So. <laughs> So ultimately, God created everything. Uh, now, it's just amazing. But now, also, there's two t- 
types of spheres, at least, that we, and that's trying to get our brain around this. There's two types of creation. I'm sorry, there's, there's, there's different, two types of creation as well. There's physical creation, and then there's spiritual creation. There's corporal beings, and then there's incorporeal beings. And what I mean is Colossians chapter 1, let's turn there to verse 15. Colossians chapter 1. And it's interesting because and go to verses 15 and 16. I specifically want to look at verse 16. Two words which you'll see. Very visible and invisible. Colossians 1. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the, the icon. The Greek word's icon, you know. That they'd have an image of Caesar, the icon, on their coins. Well, guess what? Jesus is the image of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, that he's the exact representation of the Father's person. Bam, Jesus. Well, he's, and, and he's the, the firstborn of all creation. And that doesn't mean he was literally born, like, wow, he just was birthed. Uh, but the firstborn, the word is prototokos. And that Greek word prototokos is used of being, being first, meaning having the preeminence over everything else. And that's the context here. He's over everything. So first, you could be second or third born or whatever and be called the firstborn. Look at Ephraim and Manasseh. And Manasseh was wicked and Ephraim became the firstborn, right? There's other examples of that in Scripture uh, where firstborn is not used of someone who is literally firstborn, but is in first place. Like, you know, who won the Super Bowl this year? I'm forgetting already. The Chiefs again? That's right. The Chiefs are prototokos, okay? That's just football. Don't get too excited, okay, guys, you Chief fans? Just football. But uh, <laughs> look at verse 16, though. And, the, and here's the context. It shows how he is first over everything. For by him all things were what? Created both in the heavens and on earth. Then what does it say after that? Visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything's been created through him and for him. Amen. Amen. Now there's a rebellion. but So there's a visible and an invisible realm, a corporal and an incorporeal realm. Now this is kind of interesting because what realm are we in? Physical realm. Amen. What realm are the angels in? The spiritual or invisible realm. Okay? They're not visible to our eyes. Now, because we read invisible, it doesn't mean that they're like translucent or, you know, made of air or see-through, you know. They're just invisible to us, okay. In their realm, they're probably quite visible. And while we have physical matter, they have something else going on that's very tangible. Not saying physical, but very tangible for them. The Bible says God has made in chapter 1 of Hebrews his angels ministering spirits. They're spiritual beings. God himself is a spiritual being. Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And when Jesus rose from the dead, because God took upon himself flesh and entered our realm, amen, amen. and, he, and they, he, they saw the resurrected Christ, he says, see and touch me, see that as I, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. So it's interesting. Uh, now this is what's really interesting to me in this regard is that we are physical, but check this out. We are also not just physical beings. We're also incorporeal. We have spirits, amen? That's really heavy when you think about that. 
And guess what? That's why we can be involved in spiritual warfare with that other realm. Are you with me? Try not to go too fast because some of this is pretty heavy to think about because there's these two realms that intersect. And even the angels can take on, when God allows it, human bodies. So they have spirit beings taking on physical bodies. You have God himself becoming a man. In what we call, what the, he emptied himself, Philippians 2, and became a man, the kenosis. Okay? By the way, back to Nar for a second, because some of those guys are teaching that, that Jesus gave up his divinity when he became a man. No. Jesus, ne Jesus never ceased to be divine. Amen? Amen. Okay? Uh, he suspended his use of using all his divine prerogatives. And I don't even say that in an in a absolute sense, because there's some mystery there. Because it's, the Bible says in chapter 10, I think about 38, 39 of the book of Acts, that he did these miracles through, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So he's relying on the power of the Holy Spirit as the second Adam. But I, don't, but I, but I say, but, I, but he's still God. And it's not as though he never used his divine powers at all. I just don't see him using his divine powers to serve himself. Because he's being tested as a man. Because you know where one place I think he did use the divine powers I don't think I really believe strongly he did. I should say I think strongly. Is, and it was actually to show them, are you him? We're looking for the Christ. Are you him? Ego Amy. Or I am. <laughs> before Abraham was, he said, he got arrested partially because of this. Before Abraham was, I am. Amen. I am that I am. He's God. So he says, I am. And what did all these Roman soldiers do? Like, oh, so I think one commentator, a liberal, is like, they could have just one tripped and then the others tripped and they just kept tripping. I'm like, it's easier to be a conservative Christian than just believe silly stuff like that, you know? Like, well, the, the, you know, the, the, the Red Sea, it was probably really low at that time. And that they just walked through it because it was like ankle deep. <sighs> well, God, well, then that's even more of a radical miracle because then God drowned the entire Egyptian army in a foot of water. Either way, it's just ridiculous, you know. So, but this is what's crazy is Jesus says, I am, and they all fall down, you know. Bam! It's an exertion of his power. And he says, when these things are fulfilled, you will know that I am to his apostles. And then I believe he was showing them, see what I told you? You'll see who I am when these things are fulfilled. And that was what the I am, ego Amy, in, Hebrew, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 40 1 and 2 through like 49, he's called the I am over and over again. He says, I tell you the end from the beginning, you'll know that I am. You're right? In the Greek, it's egoemi, the Greek Septuagint, LXX, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's, that's Jesus, man. You know, so he is God, but God becomes a man. So I believe the kenosis of emptying himself was just his suspension of the usage of, because there was a point, God knows everything, right? But we do know that he didn't access all of his knowledge because we know in Chapter 24 of Matthew, he says, no one knows the day and the hour, not the angels, not even who? Only the Father, not even the Son. Amen? Now, he could have accessed it. Just like you have memories that you don't access right now. When you're in third grade or second grade and someone brings it up, you think about it for the first time in your life. Someone brings it up. I've thought about that for years. Christ could have tapped into that, but he decided not to. I believe he knows the day and the hour now because he said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you in the beginning before the world was created. So it's very likely that he has that knowledge now after his resurrection and ascension. So we have these two worlds are colliding and we're in this spiritual war. Now, it's important that we understand 
that uh, there's another difference between us and spiritual angels beings. Uh, we do know in the angels, we do know they fell, okay? Uh, we know in first or second Peter or first Peter chapter two or second Peter chapter two, verse four, it says that it talks about those angels that fell that are now chained in Tartarus, right? I think the King James says hell right there. I might be, you know, but uh, the Greek word is Tartarus and it's not speaking. It's not Gehenna. It's not Hades, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S, Tartarus. And that was used in those days of a realm as a, as a prison. But I believe the reason he doesn't use Hades is because they have their special prison, these fallen angels. But there's more than just these fallen angels. Many believe that these are the fallen angels. I have time to get into it because I actually talked about this recently where the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men, right? And because their sin was especially egregious, they were sent to Tartarus. Uh, and Jude seems to speak of the same thing. And I believe he is because I believe Jude is piggybacking on 2 Peter. And that's why when you read 2 Peter and Jude, it's like, wow, you know, God used Jude to use a lot of 2 Peter to fire him up and, but spoke some different issues because uh, he talks about the angels and Jude that did not keep their first domain, right, but went after strange flesh. Interesting. And it says in the same way, the cities around Sodom and Gomorrah, or Sodom, the cities around them went after strange flesh, right? Well, it's weird as Sodom, where they went after strange flesh, they were men going after men. That's strange. It's wrong. Well, it says in the same way as these, the same way these angels, they went after strange flesh. Well, how do angels go after strange flesh? They went after men too, right? Just read Genesis chapter 19. Really, really sad. Unbiblical and sexual perversion, you know. And so what happens is these angels, and Jude also talks about how they're bound in eternal ch in, in chains, being reserved for the judgment of the great day, he says. So there's these fallen angels that are already in Tartarus waiting for the judgment of the great day. And then if you look at what's called the mini or small apocalypse of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 24, 25, 26, and 27. It's actually four chapters long or so, but it talks about, you know, the stars falling, talks about the sun turning black, talks about these things we talk about. It's like reading the, the mini book of Revelation. It talks about how God will judge the host of, of heaven, not just Satan, the host of heaven. So there's fallen angels that fell with him. So, but it's also important to understand that these entities are that there's some that are locked up, but there's many of them that did not go after women or whatever that sin was there, right? There's many that are alive and well with Satan in the spiritual world because we're fighting against, the Bible speaks very clearly that there's all these demonic entities that are still very, very active, and it's important to understand that. Now, uh, who is ahead of these fallen angels? Satan is, right? And in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about how Satan was cast down. Now, it gets a little complex here. He's cast down and his angels are cast down with him. But did you know that hasn't happened yet? Wait, I thought he was cast. I thought Satan was cast out of heaven. He was. But there's a, there's a distinction. He's cast out of heaven in the sense that it's no longer the place that he lives as a holy angel. Okay. One of Satan's name was called uh, uh, Son of the Morning, right? Morning Star, Son of the Morning, and, uh, or Day Star, Son of the Morning. Two extra titles in Isaiah 14. But guess what? In 
But isn't Jesus called the bright morning star? Yeah, there's a difference. Because Satan is an angel. He was with the other angels. Now, he was a high-ranking angel. I have no doubt about it based on scriptures that, that we're studying today. Okay? But he was a high-ranking angel. But the Bible talks about how in, Je- in Job chapter 38, when you read Job 38 through 42, when he comes to cry out to God and God delivers him, do you remember that? During creation, what does it say the sons of the morning do? The morning stars do. The morning stars what? They sing, right? They shout for joy. Amen? So Satan was one of the morning stars. So, so when you see that he's called the day star, the sun of the morning, don't, oh, wait, he's the day star. Isn't Jesus the day Isn't Jesus the sun of the morning? Yeah. But guess what? The angels were all called the sons of the morning. He's a fallen angel. But Jesus isn't just the sun of the morning. He's not called a, a sun of the morning. He's called the what? The bright morning star. Amen? Which I believe is a reference to the sun. You know? Satan twinkles and the angels twinkle, but Jesus, he's like the the sun's a picture of him for us, amen? Wow, you know? So, but it's interesting. Here's what goes down, and here's how you have to see and understand. In in Isaiah chapter 14, he's, he's, how many times, do you remember how many times he says, I will? Five times. Satan says, I will exalt myself above the stars of God. In the size of the north, I will be like the most high God. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. You're never more like the devil than when you're a narcissist. You're never more like the devil when you're imposing your own will. Amen? So be very, very careful. We want to do God's will. Satanism says, do what thou wilt, right? Jesus says to pray this way. Your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. Or in the garden, my, not your, my will, but your will be done, Father. Amen? And then we want his will to become our will. So five times. But what's interesting, when you read about the fall of Satan in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, he first begins addressing the king of Tyre and then the king of Babylon in, 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 in uh, Isaiah. And I think it's king of Tyre in Ezekiel 28. And what's interesting is someone say, well, he's really talking to these kings. No, he's not. If you go on and continue to read, he goes way beyond anything you could say about a human king. And we have this precedent early on in Scripture in Genesis chapter 3. From the very get-go, God's addressing the serpent, right? But he addresses the serpent in such a way that he's also addressing an entity that's using the serpent that goes beyond a mere physical entity that's going to die. He's talking about the principality behind him, Satan. And we know that because Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, says of Satan that he's called the, old, the, the, the devil, right? The, the dragon, right? The serpent of old, Satan mentions four of his titles in verses 9 through 12. Four of his titles. And one is the serpent of old. Because he used the serpent and he's identified with the serpent. So God could address the serpent, but he could also address the entity that used it. Just like when he said to Peter, he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Do you think he was calling Peter Satan? No, No, he's talking about the entity. When Peter says, you know, he's not going to let him go to his death. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. Get behind me, Satan. Because Peter sometimes was too quick to speak. Sometimes we're too quick to speak. We've got to be very, very careful. The Bible says where there's many words, there's, there's sin. So you have to be very, very prayerful and careful about how we communicate because the enemy can get a hold of our mouths. And if you're in a marital relationship, has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you? I remember a long time ago, years ago, and my wife and I were laying in bed, and we usually get along really, really good, but we had one of those, like, tiffs, you know? And... uh. And we're just and it, we're just talking, but it was like you know one of these misunderstandings or whatever. And I was like, and uh, it was really weird because I remember when I'm laying there, 
and she's laying there, and I'm, I'm, I was really bad. And when we were newly married, we'd stay up till 2, 3 in the morning until everything's worked out. That was me. She was like, let's just go to sleep. And I was like, no, I can't go to bed on my anger, you know, or your anger, whosoever it is, you know. And, uh, <laughs> so I like to make sure things were resolved. She was like, we'll just clear it up in the morning. But I was like, I'm always like that, you know. My kids, my daughter Heather just came up to me a, a little bit ago. She goes, Dad, I get it now. She goes, man, I remember I'd get in trouble and, I'd be, and, and you'd be like correcting me and, and you'd take three hours in the bedroom before you and make me confess whatever I did, you know. And it, I was like, oh, God. And I finally, and, but then she told me, but there's one time you were wrong. I just gave in. And it was that, this other person. So she, we called the other person up. No, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm making that part up. But she's like, it was the other person, Dad. I was like, okay. She goes, but you know what? I get it now because with Russell, my son, now I'm going to be spending all kinds of time making sure his heart's right. Now I know why you did that. You want to make sure my heart was right with God. Well, she knew that, but she got to really see it in the life of her little boy at the time. So anyway, I'm really drifting from my original story, am I not? <laughs> so my wife and I are laying there, and you know what? A thought came into my mind to respond in an unkind manner, you know, to just say, just not, not something that would advance the conversation, you know, but something where it was like jabbing back at her, you know. Not that she was jabbing. She was probably a perfect angel. It's just probably in a bad mood. I'll make her perfect in this, you know. I don't know what it was exactly. I don't remember it. But as this happened... I'm not kidding. This, this is a true story. I thought, I said, nope. Like, I just, in my heart, nope, I'm not going to say that. That's wrong. And right when I said, nope, there was a growl right next to my ear. And I felt like, and I felt it like, go away. And I was like, and I was like, whoa. And I looked, and Lisa's like this. No, no, I'm kidding. Okay. No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't my wife. She's laying there. I'm like, I knew she was there because I see my periphery. It wasn't her. And I'm like, Wow. Wow. And I think the Lord allows us to experience things sometimes to make us understand the enemy is very real. And it was like, pfft, the veil came off. For, I'm like, whoa, the enemy was trying. That was from the enemy, you know? I'm saying it's very, very real. That's why I said earlier, I can guarantee you there's things that the enemy tries to put in your thoughts and your minds. He works on you. And we have to make sure that we guard our hearts. And we don't just say the things that come to our heart and mind. Don't say, well, I just don't have a filter. It's good to have a filter. God wants you to have a filter, you know? He wants to make sure, let no ungodliness proceed out of your mouth. Only speak words of edification that build people up and may they be seasoned with, with, with grace and salt, amen? And we need to be prayerful about our words, amen? So we've got to watch out for the tactics of the enemy because he can ruin your marriage, you know? By putting thoughts, you need to be forgiving and merciful and this, make this life count. Be faithful to your spouse as well. So this is what's crazy in Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, let's just go there. Because a lot of people aren't aware that, there's, that Satan gets booed out of heaven two different times. The first time he was booed out, he no longer has residency there. Do you understand? It's no longer his home. He's not hanging out worshiping God with the, you know, the good angels. But it's interesting that... In chapter 12, verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Okay, that's Israel. I don't have time to get into it. We've done this before. But if you go to read the story of Joseph, you'll see that imagery is used of the 12 tribes of Israel, his mom, his dad, 
Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, being the dad there, and the brothers, 12 tribes of Israel. And this is Israel. And then we see verse 2, and she was with child. Okay, Israel was with child. Jesus' Messiah came through Israel. Amen. Mary was an Israelite. And she cried out, being in labor and pain, to give birth. So the, the child comes through this woman, Israel. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadems. This is the kingdom of Antichrist, not just the final kingdom. It's, it's what it's looked like in the final kingdom, but these heads have already been, five have been, one is, and one is yet to come, and the eighth will be an eighth of the seventh, which will be the Antichrist, and so forth. Verse 4, that comes later in Revelation. Verse 4, and his tail swept away what? A third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so when she gave birth, she might, he, what? he might devour who? Her child. So what happened when Jesus was born? Herod tried to kill him. Isn't that right? And sometimes the Lord's dealing with kings and sometimes dealing with principalities. Here we see, near and now we're looking at the principality. We're not looking at the king Herod, but we're looking at what Satan was trying to do through him. That's why you need to pray for your leaders too, guys. Because there's principalities at work with them. I mean, just look at the current administration, all the wickedness being, you know, the havoc that's going on. Verse 5, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's speaking of the ascension. And he'll rule with a rod of iron. That's the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign when Christ returns. Verse 6, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared for, by God. And so that she would be nourished for how long? 1,260 days. Okay, how long is that? That's three and a half years. What's three and a half years long? What, what is this referring to? It's referring to the Great Tribulation period. The last, seven, last three and a half years of that seven-year period. Uh, peace treaty that we made between Israel and the many nations under the Antichrist because he'll make a prince, a, 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 a covenant with the many. And Israel will be like, oh yeah, guess what? We've got seven years of peace now, you know? And they'll rebuild their temple and in the middle of that seven years, Antichrist is like, this temple's really nice. I want to be worshipped. He'll sit himself in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Second Thessalonians 2, or as Jesus put it in Matthew 24, 15, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, let the reader understand because it's all over the book of Daniel. Several times he talks about this coming Antichrist figure. Let those who in Judea flee, you know, uh, and so forth. So he's coming, and now when he takes up shop, Jesus says, let those who in Judea flee, right? Why? Because the abomination of desolation is there. And Paul says he's going to exalt himself. He's going to sit in the temple of God, show himself that he is God, right? 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. And exalt himself above all that is called God or his worship is God, Right? And so he's going to have those who don't take the mark of the beast killed. He's going to begin right there, just like Hitler, but now he's going to begin in Jerusalem. And what has Satan always wanted to be? Worshipped. And he's booted out of heaven. He can't be worshipped by the angels of heaven. He took a third of them with him. But now he wants to be worshipped on the earth. And guess what? He tried to tempt Jesus with basically being like the Antichrist. In Luke 4, Matthew 4, in Luke 4, he says, He showed him the kingdoms of this world in a moment's time. And said to bow down and worship me, and it all shall be yours. Amen. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him alone. Amen. Amen. The NAR movement says, oh, we'll take it. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's what's going on, guys. So it's interesting here is it's for 1,260 days. 
And the two witnesses will witness that long, and they'll be put to death, and then their bodies will lie in the street. I think I said on accident for three and a half years, but their bodies will lay in the street for three and a half days. Um, verse 7, and there was war in heaven. So when this goes down, guys, check this out. This is the tribulation period now. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with who? The dragon. That's Satan. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. Thank you, Jesus. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Amen. And the great dragon was what? Thrown down. The serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the what? whole world, the nations, everyone. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Wow. Now, this is what's interesting. How many angels did he draw, did he lead astray? A third, A third of the angels. Now he's thrown out and those, this says stars there, right? But now we see those stars are angels, right? And his stars, the angels are called morning stars as well, right? So what I'm saying is, the angels that were bound in Tartarus are not these same angels. Now, there could be something going on here, because I, I want to be very careful. So when you first see a third of the angels being led astray, that could refer earlier in the chapter to his original rebellion. So some of those angels, that third could have gone astray, at, because it's talking about the very beginning. But the scripture, the text isn't clear. But later we know he's talking about the tribulation period for sure, right? And those angels now are swept and thrown to the earth with him. So it's either a little bit less than 30 angels or those angels that fell were separate than the third that fall with him here. You see what I'm saying? So we don't, it's hard to be exacting on that. But I will say this, uh, Michael, man. And why does Michael? Michael throws him down, man. Michael's and his angels are more powerful. My, who's Michael? Michael is the archangel. And in, Z in Daniel chapter 12, it says he stands guard over the people of Israel. He's the one that fought. Remember, he fought the, the, the spirit of Persia. That was the prince. Now, it's different than Herod. We're talking about Herod here, right? Persia was the prince of Persia, man. He's a principality that's very powerful that, uh, you know, was fighting with the angel Gabriel. And then angel Michael shows up and, and Gabriel's thrown free and he takes off and gives revelation to Daniel. And by the way, those in the NAR movement, they believe, they're saying that they're, they do these prayer walks and these stadium things, and they do all these different things because they're trying to jettison these principalities from their, their, to topple them so they could take over the world. That's, where, that's part of the deception. It's kind of interesting. That's why I'm very, we don't get involved in some of the things that are very popular out there, you know, because a lot of times it's NAR-associated, and I want to be very, very careful, you know not to get associated with something that grieves the Spirit of God. So what we read here is quite interesting. It says that Satan deceives not some of the world or most of the world, but the whole world. Amen? Verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. So check this out, guys. Satan has been cast out of heaven prior to this time, Right? We read about that in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. But he still has access to heaven. Right now he does. Because this hasn't happened yet. We're not in the tribulation period now. So he, even though he no longer has heaven as his home, he's able to go up there as a prosecuting attorney because God's allowing this to happen to show everybody who's who, what's what, because this is, the, this is, the, this is a huge courtroom drama is what it is. 
It's, it's a cosmic drama to show who's who, what's what, and who's going to decide what. And guess what, man? During this time right now, he still accuses. What happened with Job? When God said, where have you been? To Satan. He said, I'm on the earth, you know, going to and fro, you know? And he's like, would you consider my Job? My, my servant Job, there's none like him. He, he, he you know, he's, perf- he's blameless and he hates evil. He, you know, fears me and hates evil. And, and then you have this, he says, yeah, but you know what? Let me do this. You know the story. It's pretty crazy. But he has access. And then he doesn't just stay up there accusing us either. Accuses us day and night, but he takes trips over here too. But it doesn't, just doesn't have to be him because he has all these kinds of demonic entities. Remember Mary Magdalene? She was possessed by seven demons. They do his bidding. So it's interesting because now during the tribulation period, he's accusing the brethren day and night. Now he's cast the earth. And he comes, it goes on to say, having great anger because he can't even accuse now. He knows his time is short. He knows his time is short, so now he's going to wreak as much destruction as he can, hence the great tribulation period. He's going to persecute believers radically at that time. God still has limits as to what he can do because he's basically on a leash. He can only do what God allows him to do. And in the end, guess what? He ends up serving the ultimate purposes of God. He's basically, it's like a big, we're like in this big sting operation right now, okay? I mean, really, that's what, kind of what's going on. It's a trip. And, but he'll be point where he can't, and guess what? At that time, the restrainer will be taken out of the way. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it's not the Holy Spirit. A lot of my pre-trib brothers and sisters say, oh, that's the pre-trib rapture. The Holy Spirit leaves the earth. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave the earth. We talked about earlier the Holy Spirit will, don't, don't premeditate what you're going to say during those times. We're taking before leaders during the tribulation period. Jesus says, Mark 13, because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. He's here. In fact, there'll be people getting saved during that time. You can't be saved and regenerated and born again except by the Spirit. He's got to be born of Spirit and water. Amen. But guess what? Who is the one that restrains Satan from destroying Israel? Michael the archangel. It's there in chapter 12. And here we see Michael throws him down the earth, but guess what? Michael is not fully protecting Israel now. Pretty interesting. I've done a whole study on that if you want to check that out in our, in our library. So it's a very, very real battle that's going on. And we need to be aware of what's going on. In fact, uh, there's a lot of different names for, for Satan, but the two of the most popular names, one is Satanas in Hebrew, which is Satanas is Basically means the opposer, the adversary. And he's definitely an adversary. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. Walks about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In Luke 13, he's called the enemy. That's sown the tares among the wheat. He's called the enemy. He's called the evil one there as well. There's many different titles that are given to him. But he's the opposed to you. Because another big difference between you and the angelic realm is the fallen angels there's no hope of salvation for them, okay? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus did not die for angels. Satan committed high treason. Satan knew he saw all this glory of God, right? And he rebelled, and these angels rebelled. There's no salvation for them. So their quest is to bring, they hate. They're filled with envy, jealousy, just like humans are, and they want to bring as many people down with them as possible, so that's part of the spiritual war that you're in. They hate you with a passion. They hate me. They hate all of us with a passion. So it's important that we recognize this. The other word is diabolos, that we translate devil, right? In Matthew 4.1, it talks about how the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, diabolos. 
And the word diabolos means accuser or slanderer. Just like we read in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren had been cast down. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. He's been thrown down yet, but it's going to happen. But verse 11, what a good verse to end on. And they overcame him, that is the devil, because of what? The blood of the Lamb. You are not going to have victory over Satan, man, unless you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Because when he accuses you day and night and says, so-and-so did, look, did this and did this and did this and did this, and Satan has a list, okay? The demons have them. I don't know exactly how it works. God has it all written down, right? Is Jesus, as we know, is our defense attorney. First John 2, 1, I write these things that you don't sin. Don't sin, guys. Don't sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Advocate means defense attorney. Amen? Amen. And I won't go all into it, but praise God, our defense attorney was crucified in our place. Took the cup of wrath that we deserve. We did a whole study on that in a recent Sunday a few weeks back, just before resurrection, so a month or so ago, where Jesus took that cup of wrath for us. Amen? And he, what did he cry out on the, on the cross? What was that Greek word? It starts with a T. Tell to tell us that. What does that word mean? It is finished, it is finished or paid in, paid, in. paid in full. Father, Mark's sins are paid for. You know? You know? They're, 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 they're paid for on the cross. And it says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Amen? And he intercedes for us. It says at the right hand of the Father. You know, it mentions that more than once that he's at the right hand of the Father praying for us. So, and I always point out, I think it's just kind of funny, that Satan is the prosecuted attorney and the judge hates him because God hates evil. Amen. Yep, and then the defense attorney is God's most, it's his unique and beloved son. Isn't that so cool? I just love that. So I want to encourage you guys, we get victory through the blood of the Lamb, so make sure you're confessing your sins. Now, if you're not confessing your sins, you're not trusting the blood, and you do your own thing and just say, hey, I'm going to live for myself now, then you're in trouble. But 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Amen. And if we say we're without sin, verse 8, we're liars. The truth is not in us. Don't think you've arrived or somebody get down on everybody else, but you're not getting right with God and being humble and loving and praying for people. And then verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So the victory comes through faith in Christ and what he did for us on the cross and his glorious resurrection. Amen. And in verse 11, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of what? Their testimony. How do we get saved, man? We confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Amen. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And now we have a testimony that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Amen. And we overcome him by the fact that we're able to confess that Jesus saved me and he's my Lord and Savior. Amen? And we overcome by the word of our testimony. By the way, man, use your testimony. When you're witness to people, tell people how you got saved. You'd be surprised. I don't care how weak or strong you think your testimony is. It's way stronger than you realize because anybody who can say, I was once blind, but now I see. Amen? I was once spiritually dead, but now I'm alive. Amen? And that I have Jesus Christ in my life and he's transformed my life. That's always a powerful testimony in my book. And in the kingdom it is because it says when one sinner comes to repentance, the angels of God rejoice. Amen? 
So, and not only by the blood of the Lamb, but by the word of their testimony. And lastly, and they did not love their lives even what? They did not love their life even when faced with death. That means they held to the faith to the end. Because look at the very last verse in chapter, tw chapter 12. So the dragon was enraged because he couldn't get the woman. He was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with her, the rest of her children. Who are, who are they? Who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of who? And hold to the testament of Jesus. So loving or, love, or being cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, now it's holding to your testimony even to the point of death. Do you get that? You put those two verses together, it becomes very, very clear that the third part of that is not loving your life to the point of death, meaning if you save your life, you lose it. You lose it, you save it. That means don't take the mark of the beast. Even though some theologians have been saying, unfortunately, oh, you could take the mark of the beast if you've or, and, and you can repent later. You know, Some are saying that. One guy who's being accused of saying that didn't really say exactly that. He just said, if you take the mark of the beast, you could repent later. But that's still wrong. Because guess what? That would make the angel a false, a false prophet in Revelation 14 who says, anyone who takes the mark of the beast will be damned in the lake of fire forever and ever without rest day and night. Amen? And that's because people will be so hardened at the time that whoever takes the mark of the beast, it says they're given over to a strong delusion to believe the lie. They're so gone. And when you read what happens with the beast worshipers, they're angry at God. They're just given over to totally depraved minds. And they're like Pharaoh. They just harden their hearts in the midst of God's judgments. Because at that time, it's too late when you take the mark of the beast. So right now, resolve in your mind, I'm not going to take the mark of the beast no matter what. Amen? I'm going to be faithful to death. Well, what if it doesn't happen in our lifetimes? Well, guess what? persecutions happen in millions of people's life, lifetimes. Part of the mark of the beast, can that can happen in your lifetime. For all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Amen. But the good news is, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Amen. We have the victory in Jesus. Just keep trusting his blood. Amen. Can everybody please stand?